Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Welcome to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. And today I'm joined by Sarah Collins, who is an ethical production consultant and has for the last eight years been helping businesses source and develop ethically produced products. Thanks very much for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this chat. Now, let's start with a little bit about your background and how you started and how you became an ethical production consultant and what you do. Yeah, okay. So I I studied design at university. Um, And interestingly, I really struggled afterwards about what to do. I mean, I think that's quite common, but I was trying to figure out which path to take. And I did a design internship and I was kind of feeling like it wasn't right for me. And then I did some volunteer work with the WFTO, the World Fair Trade Organization. And it perfectly fit like my own values in life. So I went down that route. So really since around 2010, 2011, I've been involved with ethical production on some level. Um, So I was volunteering with a women's enterprise that worked with women in rural areas, developing products, and just fell in love with that whole product development collaboration process. And then I moved to York in the UK and I was working with a retail wholesale company for around five years, working with artisans around the world, developing all sorts of products, jewellery, homeware, uh, accessories, and yeah everything metal work would work everything um and then after that I started my own business Sister and Kin where, where I work with artisans in India and moved more into the fashion space and then for the past few years I've been helping brands do exactly that because what I found when I was working on my own brand was the production the product development the design all of that the relationship with suppliers that kind of things that's like completely natural to me because of my experience and I think just the way that I'm wired it just works for me um and it's like all the other stuff that I struggle with like the marketing and Mm -hmm. that side of business but what I found people were coming up to me all the time asking well how did you find your manufacturers how do you know they're ethical and they just couldn't get their head around it and I think there's a lot more aware awareness now but even if you go back a few years like things were a lot more um like less transparent than they are now So I just decided that that would be a great way to help independent businesses and also work with more artisans again myself, more small scale Mm -hmm. manufacturing. Um, So, yeah, that's how I got into it and never look back. I really love what I do. I I was about to say, I think, you know, especially if you're dealing with some of the artisans, you can really see the impact that you're making or that, you know, people are making place in the orders and how that can change those people's lives and how, you know, it can improve it and just the the joy that you can help bring to them and their business as well. It must be really rewarding. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've always really enjoyed about the work that I was doing before. And then that's why I was like, I want to do this in my own business and start it myself. 
And then now to help other businesses do that when you uh, and kind of connecting the dots for them and saying like, look, if you order from this group, this this uh, cooperative of women that knit, you can see directly like they're getting paid this much. This mm-hmm. is what's happening. And then you've got this like really beautiful handcrafted product that you that your cons- like your customers will love as well. Like it's just such a win win scenario. And I think you definitely have more sight over that impact. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's why I love it so much. Yeah, it is. It's very immediate, I would imagine. Um, mm. Many startups talk about establishing sustainable and ethical brands, and that's a very all-encompassing term. But what what does it really mean? How can people be sustainable and ethical? Yeah, like that's such... I know it's a really broad <laughs> question, but we can break yeah. it down. Yeah, I think it is really broad, and obviously it depends on like what products you're working with and what you're developing. But I I think... I actually say like just try come away from those words like just think about what positive impact do you want to have so think about your business values and what how they translate into manufacturing so for me like as a person um things that really get get my passions going is like feminism uh, equal rights for women and um yeah like that kind of thing that's like a real passion of me personally so Mm -hmm. for me if I translate translate that into my manufacturing then I chose a manufacturer that is led by a woman where when I look at the leadership team it's Mm -hmm. predominantly women and when I work with printers I work with a printer that is run by a woman and yes she employs a few men but she is the one making all those decisions so it, I think if you think about going to right going into business and thinking I've got this idea and I want to be ethical and sustainable, there's key things that you obviously need to think about. So you need to be looking at that wages are fair, like trickling, not trickling down, <laughs> um, yeah. making sure that it's fair on all levels. Um, you need to be thinking about health and safety. You need to be thinking about like all the core issues within the industry you need to make sure that the ticks are in place that they're in place and then when you look at sustainability I guess it's so broad of depending I don't know maybe we should do an example but say if you are because I think you can do it in so many different ways but it's about avoiding waste it's about um choosing the right material I, I feel like I'm rambling because <laughs> no, I think that you're my right. mind's going to lots of different products and how you could do it but I think it it comes down to your values having all of the the priorities in place so like the essentials the wages um the health if we just if if we touch on the ethical side for a minute in terms of like you're saying the wages and the health and safety and and the employee welfare how transparent are suppliers with sharing that information some more than others definitely i think it does depend on the supplier for me, a red flag is if they're not sharing that information. Yeah. I think it's such common practice these days. Uh, well, I mean, there's still lots out there that won't, but in the ethical space, yeah. it's common practice. You need to be sharing that information. So if a manufacturer is like, I'm not actually going to share you that, share that with you, then personally, if it's really important to you, which I imagine it would be, yeah. then it to me, I'm like, actually, I'm going to move away then. You can look at certain certifications that they might have in place that you know check um, 
wages. So things like ZX or GOTS and whatever is relevant to the product that you're manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can look at certifications, but I, I still like the manufacturer to be transparent about that. Yeah. And I, I think if you think about it, this is something that I find is if you're a small business, sometimes we feel like, oh, they're not going to tell me, like I'm just ordering 40 skirts. Like, I don't know, yeah. like they've got bigger fish to fry, but actually those larger brands will be asking for that information. Mm-hmm. And they're probably so used to just sending it out. And it's so just ask for it. I just yeah, that. it's second nature that there's no harm. And like you say, it's a red flag if they don't, if they're billing themselves as this ethical manufacturer and caring about their workforce, then it's something that they should be transparent with anyway and be, be able to share with you no matter what size your order is really. Yeah, I mean, I've had a scenario before where I was working with a manufacturer that were like, we pay living wages. Now, living wages, I won't go into it, but it's so complex and it depends on where you are in the world. And there's lots of independent studies that say a living wage is something and, and others say it's something else. Um, but they said that they were paying living wages. And then I asked for an audit report. In the audit report, it shows the wages. The wages were the minimum, minimum wage. wage. So and if we just said, take... Explain to people in terms of the difference. So minimum wage would be the minimum wage that's set. And then living wage, my understanding is that they're able to afford a bit more than the basics in that that make them live a comfortable life. So a living wage in the UK would be very different to a living wage in India because of the standard of living and the cost of housing and the cost of water and the cost or, you know, heating, all that kind of stuff. So and then um so a living wage is better to have than a minimum wage. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly right. They should have some extra income that allows them that comfortable living and potentially like have savings, like, yeah. you know, live comfortably. Um, so but it's really complex because even if we, if we just t- talk about India for a moment, like it's a huge country, obviously, um, the living yeah. wage differs from, I mean, everywhere you are in India it will differ and I guess in the UK we have uh, uh, the living wage coalition and they've calculated it but still living in a city is different to living rurally and and calculations get very different and different countries have minimum wages set differently like in India the minimum wage is actually set by the job role rather than like an individual a standard minimum right okay yeah, so like a packer will be on a different minimum wage to someone on a sewing machine. Yeah. Their living wage would be less. So it's by and then but like a lawyer, their living wage, their minimum wage minimum would be higher. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. No, that is so they they've kind of got more like an entry level wage that yeah. they get. And then obviously it can go up as they become more skilled or more experienced within their role. So like you were saying, you you received an order form. They were in, they, you were told they were getting living wage, they were getting minimum wage. What happened then? Well, we, we had an in-depth discussion about it and they talked about how they calculated their wage to be a living wage. And um, it wasn't me working with them. So then it becomes up to the client of whether that's that's sense like make sense to them mm-hmm. um it it can be that because this company in particular did lots of additional benefits as well right it still felt like a really a, a good company to work for in comparison to others there 
Um, but then I say like the conversation should shift to how are you bridging that gap? I mean, it was a bit, it is a bit not great that they said living wage on their website and it was minimum wage. Like that isn't good. I'm not yeah. saying that that's right. But um, the next conversation to me in this scenario would be, well, how are you bridging that gap between a living wage and a minimum wage? Because it is so complex really the industry isn't going to overnight start paying everyone a living wage that would be perfect in an ideal world yeah but it's like well how do you as and and me as a buyer for example how do I help you get to the point of increasing the wages for your workers if you have that power then I think it's on the responsibility of the brands to say that as well like I'm not going to ask you for discounts I'm willing to actually pay a better price so that I know the workers. But it's so complex because then you've got yeah. to make sure the workers are actually getting the money. Um, yeah. And that's what's so hard about doing this work is because it's hours more extra work to do to do this research and have these conversations. And rather than, yeah. And you mentioned there about other benefits. So they could be things like education, uh, classes, things mm-hmm. like the children being able to be there as well. Obviously not in the factories, but I've seen, I've been in places in India and, you know, they offer a great education program, but also they could live as families um, as far as I remember. So which is a massive, you know, bonus for a lot of those women that they're not away from their families and the grandparents aren't raising the kids and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be things like that. It can be, um, you know, like some places pay for childcare mm-hmm. um, where necessary, um, children's education, yeah, um, health care, like those types of extra benefits that are on top of the wage. When it starts coming out of the wage, then yeah. that's when it's an issue. But you get a, a wage and that is a benefit on top and then of you it. get the benefits on top as well yeah. and then we talked a little bit about sustainability but I think what some brands feel that it's a minefield and they have to do they need to tick lots of boxes or do a lot but that's not really that's not the case is it no it's not and I think that's what I was trying to get to earlier when um when I was thinking about it because it it really has to come down to like what's important to you because you've got to really care about what you're doing. I mean, yes, there's like, again, there's the basics that you want to be ensuring that you're not doing, like creating lots of waste and causing harm with chemicals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But think about what's important to you. So if you are a brand that um, like you could, it could re- be really important to you to reduce um, like the, the effects of shipping and you could produce garments made to order really close to home like that is a really positive production model mm-hmm. but then there's brands like um Celia from Junk London who works with an ethical factory in Bali and all of her it's swimwear everything's recycled um, she does like eco-friendly printing and she probably like manages her shipments like you, you might choose to do sea freight instead of air freight I don't know what she does but I'm th- there's choices within the business model that you've got yeah. to make sustainable decisions so not everyone should build the like think about the business that you want and your values and then make the decision the, the sustainable decisions around that that make sense obviously trying to yeah. reduce impact and they can come in stages can't they as well so you might have a kind of a future goal of we want to be 
carbon neutral plus, we want to be a B Corp, we want to be X, Y, Z. But that if you were starting out, then that might be something that's very difficult to achieve right from the beginning. But you can say, right, like you said, in terms of right, what's important to us, what can we do? Okay, we can offset our carbon, um, we can offset our you know, we can offset our carbon and work with people either like ecology, that plant the trees for every order, mm-hmm. and which I know a lot of people are doing, or that you have a, and sometimes I suppose in terms of the actual sustainability of it, but the like buyback schemes or resale schemes and all that so that you have a look at the cycle of the product rather than just it being single use um, yeah. in a way. So yeah, I think that like you say, and you don't have to do everything all in one go. But I, I suppose it's really important about being transparent with your messaging as well, because some people are very afraid of of saying that they don't know they're not doing everything because they can't do everything. They're afraid of the whole greenwashing side of things. Yeah. And I think that's fair because I think it's scary. People don't want to get it wrong. But what I would just say on the on the other thing that you just mentioned about not doing it straight away, then I'm absolutely on board with that. I just think it's really difficult. But I think what you can do yourself where you can do yourself massive favors if if you eventually want to be a b core when you're starting your business look at what that what's involved and actually having that knowledge means you can start making those decisions from the beginning yeah yes you might not have everything in place and you might not have it aligned but when it comes to having to make a decision on oh should we do this or this you could think well actually if I choose like option a that gets me one closer to a B Corp and then maybe two three years in you might be applying for B Corp but you have like 70% of things in place already so yeah like doing that little bit of a research but giving yourself a break to know like I don't have to have it done now but knowing what steps you need in the future so that it reduces your impact anyway and the workload for when you do want to take those steps Mm -hmm. but now I can't remember what the other thing was that you said (laughs) greenwashing greenwashing that's it yeah I actually I'm yeah I'm actually really passionate about this because yes you want to avoid greenwashing and I think the best way to do it is move away from again we're ethical we're sustainable like don't put that pressure on yourself just talk about what you are doing so if you are um if you have a take back scheme talk about that if you're using um natural materials talk about that if you're paying fair wages talk about that like don't say oh we are ethical brand because we pay pay fair wages say we pay pay fair wages and then in terms of the things that you're not doing talk about them like just say at the moment we're air freighting because economically the scale of our orders is so small it doesn't make sense for sea shipments what we hope to do in the next two to three years is move to sea shipment or road shipment method only. Um, I just think, and I'll say, okay, at the moment, oh, 70% of our materials are recycled or 50% or 30%. We're aiming for 90%. Yeah. And, and actually, I think consumers now just really appreciate that. And I yeah, think it yeah. also just makes you think, like, what a relief. I'm not hiding anything. Yeah. I can just yeah. say, this is what I'm aiming for. And, and you can put that as 
And you can put that as part on your website in terms of if you have a tab that's about sustainability or, you know, you're in, in your mission and your value statements, you have, you might have something that says sustainability, but then what are your sustainability goals? Like, where are you now? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what are your goals? So that you're not, you're giving, you're making yourself accountable and you're giving yourself a timeline that's out there and that's in public, but you know, you're not saying, you're not saying what you're not. I suppose that's what, for those people that don't understand the term greenwashing, can you just kind of summarize who aren't clear on what that term is? Yeah, I guess it's um, not very good to summarize. <laughs> um, it's using language to promote more sustainable practices or to give the impression that you are more sustainable than you are. But it's using like really vague language, not providing any of the facts, not providing the data, and actually like trying to disguise what you're doing. Like we know some large brands have been like uh, actually lost legal cases in it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember if like a specific example, but they might say like, this is our eco collection. And then you go and look at it and you look at the tag and it's like 10% organic cotton. And yeah. obviously the scale that they're manufacturing is not sustainable either. So it it's using, it's just trying to kind of put that blanket over it and just and be a yeah. bit. Yeah, hide behind it a little bit. Hide behind, yeah. hide, and hiding behind the term sustainability then as well. Mm. Yeah. And what about when you are designing products? How do you think you can build sustainability into the design and the end of life of products? So I really think it comes down to designing quality. So designing durable products that are made to last. So it might cost you an extra 50 pence, I don't know, on a garment to use a French seam rather than just like an overlock and a fold. But that French seam is going to make that garment so much more sturdy and yeah. last years and years longer without needing any repair. Um, so if you, in terms of fashion, just as an example, designing, using fa- fabrics that do last, um, designing the product to last itself, but then obviously going a bit further, you could use 100% uh, organic cotton and and then be responsible for that recycling of that yeah so like avoiding blended fabrics basically avoiding blended fabrics that we know can't be recycled because the technology is just not there yet so looking at the materials that you're using and thinking well what can I do next with this material so thinking about that end of life and then communicating that to your customers as well so you could again I know you've already mentioned it but that return scheme so you could say once you finish with this send it back to me, I'll recycle it. Yeah. And then the incentive, given a, an incentive for the customer to do that. Or you could provide them with, uh, once you finish with this, please pass it on or please, you know, like how people have things in place where it's like pass it on to the next owner. And, and yeah. just trying yeah. to and they're just nice messages on their care, like mm. care labels sometimes, or, you know, this has been made to last, this garment mm. will xyz you know pass it on to someone who will appreciate it as much as you have or whatever you know you can just build that kind of story as well in terms of what you're doing yeah, yeah and absolutely. so recently and i don't know how to if you pronounce this she she shine sheen or sheen i don't know um, no, i don't know i'm always saying i switch between sheen and sheen so yeah i can't, i think it's i'm sure it's sheen but i've heard other people call other things um so they were recently in the news about employee exploitation and um you know paying way below minimum wage and her uh, you know not very satisfactory working conditions um what responsibility do you think obviously their products are cheap they're farming out thousands a week 
you know, mm-hmm. in terms of newness. What responsibility do you think the consumer has with their purchasing decisions and, and buying behavior? Do you think it lies with, you know, what onus needs to be on the consumer? For me, it's all about the brand responsibility. I really, really think it's the brand's responsibility. I I hate to put any judgment on anyone shopping that way. Mm-hmm. However, I think when you fall into the category of potentially you could afford to shop more um, wiser, I don't know, <laughs> more ethical, um, yeah. but you're choosing to maybe buy, I don't know, new top, new clothes every week at such a low rate. But yeah. then even then, as I'm saying that, it's like society that makes people feel like they need to do that. And then it's usually um, women that have been advertised all these body messages, like pressure mm. to look a certain way. So I really struggle to put any responsibility on the consumer. And I think it's the brands that need to be doing the work. I think it's the brands that need to be taking responsibility for the supply chain because they're the ones that are putting the pressure on the supply chain. And then they're the ones that are creating this cycle to make people influenced into buying from them again and again and again. So Mm -hmm. I really think it's the brand's responsibility. I think if you can, if you are aware of the issues and you can start to try and shift your habits um think about like the 30 day 30 day where like I'm not just buying this for one night out and I'm never going to wear it again I mean I nearly got sucked into it I haven't bought fast fashion for I don't know how long but I'm at a wedding next month and I was like looking for something new when there's a a dress in my wardrobe that I wore to a friend's wedding three years ago that I absolutely love Mm -hmm. and I was like why would I look for something new then when I've got this dress that I love but it's that pressure of it's an event I need something new yeah um and I managed to snap myself out of it but I think just if you can think about how much wear you'll get out of a garment if you can um choose to shop like secondhand maybe but yeah I I really struggle to put the 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 onus on the consumer in those scenarios and I think if you do want um if you do want newness and from a financial point of view there's only a certain amount that you can afford there are other retailers there are retailers out there that are more ethical than others in terms of how they source what they do how they supply the working wages that they pay as well so um I think it's personally, I think it's both. You know, I do think that as a consumer, if it's if an item is a pound, do you know what I mean? Mm. How's um, do the maths? Yeah, like do yeah. the maths. Like the you know, and it's yeah. and that it's a pound at full price. But but I agree that it's it's the brand it's the brand's responsibility. But then I also think from a consumer point of view, you know, you should look at your own like you to in terms of you should look at your own spending habits and question yourself. Just you know, spend that minute of how how long am I going to wear this item for like I've recently I've only recently discovered vintage and it's amazing mm-hmm. you know oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and you know and if and it has brands from you know cheaper end to higher end you know and it's a really good and then there's the other I mean the other one if you want things that are a bit more higher end or more special or for an occasion I can't pronounce it either but versatile collective is another great one mm-hmm. um or even you know or the out even though that's new but it's it's end of end of line end of season you know yeah so there are definitely ways like I haven't bought I don't think I've bought new things for quite a while and but not really not necessarily really intentionally I've just there's just not been anything that's caught my eye that much but also yeah. but I'm also now looking at things like 
like vintage and versatile collective. So there are definitely the other options out there as a consumer. If you want that that rush of buying something new, it can be new to you, but it doesn't have to be a new item. Yeah, I just bought something recently off vintage and it's, you know, when you've always, I don't know how to say it, but there's always a dress that I've always wanted in my head, like the perfect fabric and thought like that's very me, but I've never found it. Yeah. And I found it on vintage Yay. and it was like eight pound. <laughs> Yeah, like, it still hasn't arrived, so I don't know. If it'll <laughs> Wait, you know, I, <laughs> I I recently bought a a jigsaw polo neck dress, um, that was new was one hundred and eighty, and I got it for thirty. You know, so and it was new with tags, so, so it hadn't actually even been worn. You yeah. know, so there's there's so, there really are so many options out there. So I do think you're right. I think if you're aware of the issues, like do try and look at alternative options like definitely but um I just get really mad at the companies as well <laughs> like the advertising they do and they're really clever with the the way that they hook people back in and yeah um, did you watch the documentary the Sheen one I haven't seen the Sheen one yet yeah I only watched it last week because I knew it would get me really wound up <laughs> <laughs> so I needed to be like mentally ready to watch it in, in a safe space <laughs> yeah yeah and I did get wound up but they it wasn't just about the um the supplier issues that was a, obviously a huge part of it but it, they did look into how they suck people in as well in the, the psychology of it I've, yeah, yeah. I've read that part of it as well no I do I need yeah. to it's on my list to 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 watch it and if you're starting a brand and so we talked a little bit about sustainability uh, other than like looking at your values, where would you say are there some easier? And I don't mean to say this quick wins in terms of from sustainability point of view, but if they, if you are as a brand wants to be more sustainable, what do you think are the things you could do first? Um, I think don't overproduce. So start really small. Mm-hmm. Um, again, look at the materials, and obviously packaging is like the number one. Yeah. That's like step one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and some... often overlooked as well like you know when you get things from brands and they talk about their sustainable message but it's come in this massive box that's got loads of air surrounding you know it could have just been such a yeah. smaller different package in such a different way yeah and think about like I worked with someone and they actually didn't have tags on their clothing but they did like a barcode mm-hmm. printed so you could actually, and then that would take you to the product information. Yeah. Uh, like it's really clever ways of doing things. Um, so yeah, like packaging, it does get overlooked, but it is really important because it's the first thing the customer sees as well. So if they, yeah. if you, you know, like positioned yourself in that space and then they're like, why am I getting all this packaging? Like it's not however many years ago when it was all about the unboxing experience now people are just like this is such a waste yeah um, that obviously needs to look nice obviously yeah it's that balance um, about giving the experience without without to the environmental cost and then as well mm. but there's a lot more things that can replace plastics now in terms of bamboo sugar cane so if you're thinking of poly bags or whatever it might be there's a lot more other options that are out there than than have been in the past as well and that's something to talk to you can talk to your supplier to as well because that's a a good first step as well is because if you buy from I remember my first order that I got from India and I, I had like I have to confess like I didn't talk to them about how it would be delivered I'd worked with the supplier for years beforehand in a different 
when I was employed through a company and I knew that they had like positive things in place in that space so I kind of just assumed it and that's like not what you should do obviously so I didn't talk to them about it and when it arrived every item was in an individual poly bag Mm. and it was like this is so bad like this is really bad so like have before like speak to your suppliers about how they pack it most of them are now exploring more eco-friendly options where it is accessible you can some obviously it depends on how things are getting shipped but they might need you know that plastic does serve a purpose in protecting the product as well but you could do things like pack 10 things yeah bag or some people like line the box with the plastic yeah so that the box is protected and then not nothing inside is packed in plastic so yeah having those conversations I think is a great starting spot as well and you would save you know you would save money anyway because if you're instead of paying each item has a poly bag instead of like you're saying 10 in a poly bag it's one poly I know it'd be a bigger poly bag but it's one poly yeah. bag and it's also one process instead of 10 different processes because mm. that's what you have to think of when you think when you're paying for things you're paying for not just the material and the time it's the it's the it's the processes that take the time that you're paying for yeah. as well so, yeah and they might they might say that oh we have a biodegradable bag option but that's going to cost you an extra three pence an item and for me if if I'm saying I'm a sustainable business and I'm going to pay three pence an item or speak to them and say okay I'll have um 10 in one of those more eco-friendly bags yeah and and I'll pay for it but it's it's worth it but still reduce what we use yeah absolutely and if you're already an existing business and say you've been going for a few years but you don't know where to start from that sustainable side of things and, and ethical side of things. Would you just say start just have the conversations if you want if you wanted to move away from your existing supply base potentially if they weren't ethical, or you know to kind of just have that bird's eye view of your business? Where would you start with that, or what would you do? In in sort of in the supply area. Like well, in in, in your kind of you're trading as a business. You've been trading for like maybe eight years. And you've become more conscious as a business mm. about sustainability, but you've not changed your practices. Yeah. Where would you start with that? I would always start, but this is because it's what I do, but I would start in the supply chain, definitely. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's where we know the greatest impact is. So just start having those conversations with your suppliers, asking about what they have in place. And then almost like look at everything that you're doing. So there's great things out there. I'm trying to think of like a really helpful tool where you can look at your own footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see if I, I, I'll dig a couple out and send them to you. So if you want to like add yeah, them in. Put them in Jonas, yeah. yeah and, and just have an overview of your business. Like I can imagine being in that position that it would be like, feel like such a block and like, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. But just start small. So look at your own shipping methods look at your own materials look at your own supply chain and there's plenty of suppliers out there that are doing positive work so a shift might feel really scary it might cost money so potentially you do like a small staggered yeah to it staggered and I I just think do the work but give yourself a break as well there's like such a fine line of you can't be perfect overnight but if you're paying attention to what's happening and you're actively trying to improve it then that's okay yeah and I think 
like you're saying to if they're doing small amounts and taking a staggered approach to it so so if you do look at your supply chain and your supply chain isn't where you want it to be you're not going to be able to go right okay well next season i'm going to change everything to this new supplier that i've never worked with before and because you just wouldn't do that from a business point of view you'd give mm. yourself a heart attack and you know it just it could you need to as well you need to make sure your business is sustainable in terms of it keeps on going you know mm. um yeah but um so yeah, I think like you're saying, if you're starting the supply chain, understand what you're looking for. Ask the question because your existing supply chain may already be doing things, but may not be doing them for you, or may not have actually talked to you about it because you may not have shown the initial interest. Whereas if you're asking the kind of questions, and but if you then do need to find suppliers or new suppliers, do it staggered rather than all in. Yeah, yeah give yourself that time to test it, sample it. Is it right? Can we get there on quality? Can we get there on, like, let your processes, like, transition over in a way that you can manage. And, yeah. you know, I think I think you would be surprised. I think there's a lot, this is me being, like, really optimistic, but <laughs> most people in the small business space, oh, I am, I think what I'm going to say is not completely right, but I think you would be surprised to see the work that your suppliers are doing. Because I think it's so common now that buyers need to know X, Y, and Z about different practices. Like they they probably are following a, you might not have ever, never even thought about an RSS list, like restricted substances list to avoid, to avoid certain chemicals in the production process. But your supplier might be following something similar to that yeah. anyway. So I having think- those conversations with them, will let you know where to start because you'll see where the issues are and and not and to not be afraid to just and to not be afraid to say this is what I'm planning on doing you know not to not be afraid to ask questions and we'll talk about what kind of questions they could be asking in a minute but you know say that you want to do a certain thing because if your supplier is working with lots of the smaller brands or bigger brands they're on that journey like you've said anyway and they say well mm. x y z z does this so we could do this it means this kind of a cost increase or it might not even be depends uh, a, a cost increase yeah. but um what would be your advice if you if you do discover unethical practices in your supply chain what would be your advice with that um i guess it depends on the practice like what's happening but i think for me it would be having a conversation with your supplier asking why it's happening asking are they going to fix it but then i i think there's more work to do than that look at any auditing bodies that your suppliers work yeah. with any certifications go to them and say look i've just found out that my supplier is doing this this and this yeah. um in terms of you it's really difficult because you've probably got a relationship with them you've got products but you, you probably need to make that decision based again on your values and think okay i need to like, move away from this until i know this is completely resolved but it might and you might not you might not be in a position that you can do that and so I think it's sometimes having to be realistic as well I know when I worked with um Primark and we would do regular audits of factories and um they would it would well, corrective action plan so it was called a cap so they say uh, it would they'd be on a traffic light system so if they you if they were fail if they failed the traffic if they failed their audit they went to red and when they were red you couldn't place orders with them and they and they were given a cap which is a corrective action plan because if you pull out i know it's different because prime is obviously massive but if you just pull out of that factory then you're risking your business but also your the workers have less work so 
from an ethical point of view, you're taking work away from the workers, you know, but what then the bigger, bigger companies will do is put in a cap, a corrective action plan. And, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing X, Y, Z. And obviously they're bigger and they have the people that can go in and do those audits. But I think it's like you say, understanding what are they going to do to change it? Or if they've had to subcontract because big orders have come in and they were the factory that you didn't approve of, you know, it's, kind of understanding why that happened could you have given them a longer lead time could you you know and it's about having that transparency and relationship with with the supply chain then as well yeah because i think what we find as well on on the scale of like small medium businesses you may not have depending on the scale of the supplier that you're working with the buying power yeah impact their change so they might have certain practices in place and you say look i need you to do this Otherwise, I'm going to stop ordering from you. And they might say, okay, bye. Yeah. Bye. We, <laughs> so it, it's the having that conversation and figuring out if you can, if you can actively promote them to change, like work with them to change positively and put better steps in place, then I think that's the greater impact to have rather yeah. than just saying, okay, bye. Say, you know, I need you to have this in place. And exactly like what you said, you know, do you need longer lead times? Um yeah like having yeah. those conversations but I do think that if they are um a certain like certified by a certain body yeah you may need to like speak to that person if it's a really serious thing where it's impacting yeah then I would go to them because they would most likely input what something similar to what you've just suggested said that you did you would 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 happen at Primark they would say you need to fix this otherwise you will be losing this certification or you're temporarily suspended so that is going to be the power to get them to change if you can't do it as an individual and it's the same as well like say just think a common objective is a good um platform to find sustainable suppliers so the whole thing about from my understanding about common objective is if you're on there is because you're a sustainable and ethical supplier so if you're working with one of those suppliers that are registered on that platform and then finding you know unethical practices you could probably go to the platform founder you know you could go to common objective and and raise the issue and they might have more input like you've said in terms of because a lot of those some of those suppliers may not be with auditing bodies because they're too small because it costs it costs money to be audited by those auditing bodies and it might not be something that they've invested with but um you know that could be another way to help implement a change and and do something if yeah, you were because I- Oh, I was just going to say, I do, yeah, I think common objectives are great a, a place to start for that as well. And I do, I don't fully, I don't think common objective vet, I mean, I'm pretty sure they don't vet the suppliers on there. You mm-hmm. can just create an account and you list uh, that the high, the more sustainable practices you've got in there, um, the higher you sort of rank in the search fields. So I would always say to anyone working with a supplier that they've perhaps found through Common Objective to still do your own work with them. But yeah. I mean, I know lots of the suppliers on Common Objective and a lot of them are doing really great work and I'm a big fan of what they do. I actually went to the WFTO conference with Common Objective oh, this year. And Tamsin, it, is it? Tamsin. Yeah, with Tamsin, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was brilliant and I'm, I, I think it's, always my number one spot when people ask me like where to find good suppliers it's I always say common objective and are there any other resources that you would say for people to find sustainable manufacturers other than common objective I think another good one that I think massively gets overlooked is 
looking now this is me coming back to my fair trade background but going on the wfto website because they list okay. all their certified suppliers oh, right. and okay. then yeah so and that's great if you are more like out of like common objectives great for fashion wfto yeah. you'll be able to find knit woodworks jewelry like all sorts of different products candles mm-hmm. um but yeah all of their suppliers are listed on their sites and you can search by region and what would be your for someone who is starting out what would be the questions that you'd want to ask manufacturers i'd want to ask um the pay structure how their workers are paid mm-hmm. um if workers have the right to unionize what benefits they have in terms of healthcare and childcare. um yeah like they're my over time practices, I think it's a really good one to ask that people don't think about asking like what uh, what the set hours and what do workers get paid for over time. You can also ask for evidence of these as well. And when I say evidence, I mean, sometimes it is just like documentation that they're providing, but and it's not completely, you know, 100% evidence, but mm-hmm. it is if they're willing to tell you that and share that with you, like it's really positive um ask if you can come on visits I think when suppliers don't allow visits it's obviously a huge red flag yeah um yeah I think they're like the first things that I always ask yeah working with manufacturers and then uh, obviously red flags would be if you're asking for those and they're not providing anything like yeah. that yeah yeah and if they get a bit funny when you ask for a visit another good one is to ask because you know if you are working with a supplier overseas and you can't get out to see them and you say can I have a like a virtual walkthrough like you could be on a whatsApp call with a supplier and say oh do you mind like showing Let's me walk through the factory yeah can we walk through yeah. the factory and they're like no and you're like oh why not like yeah. or if they're like yeah let's go like this is where we do this this is our packing table you're seeing it straight away so yeah and yeah. As, as part of your role then is that one of the things that you do for for startups and for businesses in terms of that whole sourcing piece? I do, yeah. So I kind of have two different ways of working with brands. So I've got like the consultancy side where I see that more as um, startups. I mean, you can be in any position, but it tends to be more startups that want to do the work themselves, but they need help in understanding you know having conversations about ethics they need a bit of a nudge in the right direction to find the right suppliers so I can sort of guide them along the processes and be there as like a helping hand they can ask me questions so that's one side of working that I do with brands and the other side is more of that project work so I do very limited like sourcing projects for brands so they brief me and then I'll go away and look within my own pool speak to people I know and try and find manufacturers as close as possible to what they want because we know like there's always compromise needed um and I'll have those conversations about ethical practice I'll have conversation about estimated pricing you can never really get an exact price until you've been through sampling but I'll do that initial work but then again I believe in like that relationship between a brand and the supplier so I don't act like an agent I would then just simply connect the brands and yeah. the suppliers and let them work together. have the conversations and do it yeah. great and where can people find you Sarah they can find me Instagram is probably the best place at sarahcollins.uk <laughs> and it's Sarah without a h I think uh, that's important <laughs> and then sarahhelencollins.com is my 
brand new website, which I'm really excited about. Yes, I had a look at it yesterday. It looks great. Well, yeah, it's very good. And um, if I do say this on myself, <laughs> I, didn't put, <laughs> I didn't put it together, which is why I can say it's very good. Um, but I'm really happy with it. And if you join my mailing list, you get my free production tracker, which is like a nine page document on helping you produ- like track your own production processes. Great. Well, we'll put a link to the mailing list in the show notes so people can sign up directly and get that straight to their inbox. But thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Sarah. And I'll be back again next week with another great guest on Start, Scale, Succeed. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would love if you could give a review so other people can hear all these amazing guests. Thank you very much. Thank you.